This time on Watches of Tomorrow, what time is it? Hello, I am Gepwin, your Time Master. Welcome to Watches of Tomorrow, where we discuss the timepieces of the future. Yes, future timepieces. I'm joined, as always, by Time Lord Izix. Well, I'm going to go in back in time and uh, fiddle with things. Uh, hi. And this, we need to start talking about some future time instead of yes. future times. Yes, future times, future time. So uh, so we got a sort of a, a, you know, a special focus today. Uh, things that maybe go on your wrist. Yes, things that go on or your wrist. near it. I've made a couple of <laughs> exceptions for... For the pocket variety, which I have a particular fondness for, I used to have a pocket watch when I was an edgy teen. Yeah, I got I got one of those on my list too. I also got a pocket watch, so it works. Checks out. But I think since uh, we start with synopsises, and I think it's best if we just synopsis a brief history of timekeeping, uh, so we know where we started, where we're going, where we've wound up. A long time ago, in a galaxy that we live in. There yes. was like sundials and stuff, right? Yes, there were sundials, which were probably the earliest timekeeping device. It's hard to know because stuff that was made out of anything other than stone from that long ago is gone. But up into even the 14th century, sundials were it. Mm-hmm. There were a few introductions of mechanical sort of timepiecing, keeping methods and in through there and near the end of the 14th century you had candle clocks which measured how long a candle has been burning you had water clocks in china which kind of used the drip of water over time to fill up a bucket i i, lo I love me a water clock it has a lot of connections to the show connections in fact yes i can i remember connections that was a good show <laughs> i should watch it again anyway <laughs> it aged well but you you are very surprised how old it looks when you go back and watch it Yes. <laughs> so the next particular advancement that we get was in the sort of 15th century. They invented the escapement. Well, what are we escaping from uh, with this here? You're escaping from the freewheeling action of a drive mechanism. Hmm. So your normal clock or watch, any kind of timekeeping device, is basically made of two particular elements. One is a drive mechanism, which is moving all the gears and wheels and whatnot. And the other is called the escapement, which is usually a little kind of clicky thing with a geared wheel that prevents the thing from just spinning out all its energy at once. And it gives you your little second tick every time it moves along it moves the clock forward by what we call one second and then adjusting how fast the escapement goes is how you kind of dial in your timekeeping yeah it limits the energy uh, input to your system so galileo who we've heard of mm -hmm. has did a bunch of experiments with pendulums and discovered that no matter how heavy a pendulum is it always moves back and forth at the same speed based on how long the pendulum's rope is I could go into the physics there, but I'll 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 spare you guys today. <laughs> that was later used as the driving behind what you would call a pendulum clock, which used the motion of a pendulum to kind of set the clock at a specific speed to move the escapement. There was a problem with this. It didn't work on boats. Yes, and you need time on boats because 
That is the only way that you can measure your longitude. Mm-hmm. You can measure your latitude based on the sun, but you cannot measure your longitude unless you know how long you have been at sea. So what time is it? All right, so we got the stars at this particular location, do some math, and then, uh, okay, but if you don't got, like, a clock, you don't know what time it is, so... The government of England issued something called the Longitude Prize, which would give just a massive amount of fame and money to anyone who could invent a clock that would work on a ship. I wonder if we'll get a, you know, a spring of uh, innovation here. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, this led to the invention of spring clocks, which were actually very, very small. They used a coiled piece of metal that slowly released its energy over time and did not have a need for a pendulum. A little, uh, little, little more portable. This was in the late 15th, early 16th century, and of course, as soon as we have spring-driven clocks that can be relatively compact, you start seeing the first watches. The first ever known watch to exist was a pocket watch from 1505. Very nice, very nice. Your next innovation in clockmaking does not appear until the 1960s which is the time period we have become quite familiar with on this show yes (laughs) in the 1960s they discover the properties of piezoelectric crystals Hmm. yeah so uh, we got uh, some some crystals that we can now you know maybe digitize something yeah so you have quartz and they discovered that if you apply an electric current to a quartz crystal it begins to vibrate at a consistent speed. Very nice. So you can sort of time things, yeah. The measuring the number of vibrations per second, you are able to make a watch that functions by measuring itself against the vibrations of a quartz crystal. So really all you need is a battery. Yes, all you need is a battery and a quartz crystal, and you're good. That is how a lot of modern wristwatches worked up into the kind of 80s and 90s when we started moving things over to the atomic clock system. Mm -hmm. Now, atomic clocks use the decay of a cesium atom to standardize clocks based on a cesium atom's wavelength. Yes, so it's basically vibrating, doing its things, and it's going to be uh, doing so many of these per uh, second. And so you can sort of, it's like, okay, we're going to define the second as this many, uh, you know, these oscillations. So you kind of had this thing. In the 1500s, you develop spring clocks, which are accurate to about one second every day or two. Mm-hmm. So, so pretty good. Your quartz crystal clocks become accurate to one second a week or month or so. Very nice. So that's a lot better. Yes. Your atomic clocks are accurate to one second in a few million years. So you're not going to be losing any time forwards or backwards with these, you know, at least not during your lifetime. <laughs> then in 2014, physicists began working on something called an optical clock, hmm. which functions about the same way as a atomic clock does, but it uses lasers and other elements to do some of the measuring. They have been able to make a clock that is accurate out to about 300 billion years. Well, thankfully, I plan to live that long, so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll make good use of it. And then you will have to reset your watch. <laughs> oh, man, my watch is off by one second. <laughs> well, every, every, all life in the universe has is, is, is come and passed, so um, I guess nobody cares anymore. So <laughs> That brings us to the modern era of timekeeping, where everything is set by atomic clocks via the internet. Uh, unless your clocks are traveling very quickly relative to a certain atomic clocks but anyway <laughs> well that's something that we should talk about a little bit yes. at some point here because if you're talking about the future of timekeeping you have to kind of get into the thing that we 
as humans developing these measurement systems have never once measured time. Yeah, we've we've measured intervals, but they the, the intervals are very dependent on several things. For, for instance, are you looking at your 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 your, your interval measuring device, your your clock? in a you know as it's moving past you for instance or is it falling into a black hole or or is it just sitting here on the ground all these things can provide modifications to what you're perceiving versus what it's it is itself experiencing and so your 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 personal flow of time is going to be different than the measuring device you know almost universally and sure a lot of those cases it's not going to matter all that much but when you're say putting up a gps satellite it might start mattering as you're you know, your satellites are going around the planet and, you know, very quickly and, you know, in a different part of your gravitational field and all that fun stuff. Yes, time works weirdly. Yes. And something that you need to understand about watches and clocks, they measure themselves. They do not measure time. Yes, they measure themselves. <laughs> so, yes, like you said, when you're dealing with something that needs super, super precise time measurement, like everything. Yes. <laughs> You need to be taking some of the math into consideration as far as your your differences of perception. Because time is wonky. And in fact, time moves at different speeds on different parts of the planet, depending on where you are. So I'm on top of a mountain and, oh, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, it is matters of, you know, fractions of milliseconds. But the speed of time is variable. You know, the... Sort of the ways I, I've sort of, as a, a physicist, got, kind of wrapped my head around it is that, yeah, no matter what you're you're doing for your own individual self, uh, be a, a, a subatomic particle or if you're going to have yourself you know, as an entirety entity, your your whole being, uh, you can sort of view uh, your your personal time as a a vector going off uh, in a larger space time, sort of a, a you know coordinate system. And what that your particular arrow in that is, uh, you know, you know, pointing relative to everybody else is going to be different, and you can, you know, do some clever math math to sort of try to uh, build a uh, picture of the world that you know, you know has these linking to each other, so you can sort of do uh, coordinate transformations and all that fun stuff. But it's still you kind of have to sort of realize, okay, so you you know, everyone's sort of skewed off from the straight up on what sort of quote true time would be. And we don't actually know what direction that would be in the first place. So <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, we can sort of measure times like, oh yeah, the, the sort of galactic scale, but you know, the space time on large scale, it does have a little bit of curvature. So that's going to be throwing that things off as well. So yeah, we don't actually know what the proper, you know, quote rate of time is. That's into an interesting point that I kind of wanted to bring up on the sci-fi time. This isn't like a timekeeping device per se, mm -hmm. but it's something that I liked in the Warhammer 40k universe, which is the this expanded lore universe. This is like thousands of books, several video games. It's the it's the system in which the Warhammer 40k tabletop wargaming system is set in. Yeah. They have a time measurement system that adds an extra number onto the end of dates. Hmm. So you would have something like this happened in, you know, the second millennium, 200th year, this day, this month. And then you have this extra number on the end. And on Earth, that extra number is zero. And then the further you get from Earth, that number goes up. And that number represents 
how inaccurate the time will be relative to Earth time. Ah, that's kind of clever. Because the further away you get from Earth on a galactic scale, the less accurate your timekeeping can be consistently over that kind of distance. Hmm, I like that. <laughs> so, you know, sort of, you know, it's like, okay, we're just going to sort of push the, the math side around and we're just going to say, this is our fudge factor. <laughs> Yeah, you're calling it Earth time, and then you have a little thing at the end that's like plus or minus a hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> it's right around there, you know. <laughs> well, I think we should just jump in, and I think both of us wound up in this thing that sci-fi shows really are somewhat enamored with pocket watches. Yes, pocket watches, and they are very often associated with time travelers. Yes, I think because of the anachronism factor. <laughs> Pocket watches were considered like a wealthy prestige item up into like the 1900s. So you get the gentleman time traveler who's going back and forth in time. He needs to keep good uh, track of what time it is, even though, yeah. <laughs> in fact, this is another slight aside, but it's something that I liked. Pocket watches were a very standard wealth centered item they were kind of the only watches you would see around for a very long period of time and they became very synonymous with enlightenment thinking hmm. and we even hit this thing you know how now every time these someone needs to describe something that happens with people they go think of your brain like a computer okay yeah during the enlightenment thinking when everyone was being technological and sciencey anytime they needed to describe a person they'd say think of your mind like a watch hmm. so i'm 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 you know, off by five minutes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> because a crafted pocket watch was the pinnacle of machined technology. That well, makes sense, yeah. In fact, you even have the watchmaker argument of the divine, which arises during the Enlightenment, that says the universe is like a watch with a bunch of interconnecting pieces and bits that all have to mesh up precisely, and then the argument goes that the existence of a watch implies the existence of a watchmaker. Yeah, that, that sort of notion has, uh, you know, filtered down through sciences, you know, uh, since that time, and, uh, you know, they've scientificized the, the argument a bit, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much, you know, <laughs> Same thing. This uh, just a. Uh, I'm going to talk about a Discworld book at some point in here, so I may as well get some of it out of the way. Go for it. They have the t Terry Pratchett version, which is the existence of a poorly made watch implies the existence of a blind watchmaker. <laughs> I guess that does kind of describe the, the cosmos to a degree. <laughs> but we both wound up with, I think, one or two pocket watches on our future of timekeeping list so why don't you go first i think yours is something that people might be more familiar with well uh so uh most folks are familiar with doctor who in some capacity or another uh and uh, though it doesn't necessarily feature heavily but the doctor has carried a a, a pocket watch from time to time sometimes as part of his costume uh but uh, the the one in particular i'm uh, thinking about uh for our our, our, our episode today is the, the quote, the fob watch that was uh, he used in conjunction with Chameleon Arch. Are you familiar with that at all, Gepwin? Yes, that was the Family of Blood? Yes, the, fam the, the Family of Blood and the, the there was, the, it was like two-part, I forget the other, name of the other episode. Um, but yeah, they, so the Doctor was like on the run and he wanted to like hide and it's like, okay, I, 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 I don't want to like fight these people, but they're really kind of coming after me specifically, so he's... It's like, well, maybe I'll just hide for a while and then they'll sort of go away. Uh, and so he used this thing called Chameleon Arch uh, to basically turn himself into a human. And uh, as part of the the process there, he's memories and I guess, I forget if it was like you know, some of his genetic imprint was 
uh, stored in the watch uh, in, in sort of a magical techno sort of fashion. Uh, that And so that when the watch is opened, he would be restored to his, what he was before. But until that time, it would be kept inside. So he, he, had to, he was carrying around a watch that he wasn't checking ever <laughs> for, for a couple episodes. Yes, it was a, that was a really, really good two-parter. Yes. That was uh, David Tennant as Doctor Who, who's always been my favorite of the reboot Doctors. Yeah, he's you know, fra- rather fantastic, and that was a fantastic episode. Yes, and it's just, it's a very emotional episode. He gets to play basically a different character who is, what if the Doctor were a timid school teacher right before World War One? Yes, and, uh, you know, and so you know, he's, he's kind of trying to be a nice guy, but he all, he, he's also kind of, well, a, a school teacher before World War One, so kind of fitting with some of the tropes there. It's like, oh yeah, you got certain kind of disciplines and things like that that kind of make him come off as an ass, but that's also kind of the mode of how things were at the time. So he's very much fitting in, for better or worse. So mine was actually from another time traveler, but not in a particular um, series. This is actually one of the rare reoccurring characters that appeared in the 1990s reboot of The Outer Limits. Huh. I've seen a little bit of that. There's a character that I don't know if in the series is ever particularly named, but they are credited as Nicholas Princetons. Nicholas Princetons. Played by an actor uh, named Alex Diekin. It's an odd last name. I'm not sure how to pronounce. <laughs> but he plays a time traveler who shows up from time to time in these episodes and has a time-traveling pocket watch device. Hmm. He pulls out the pocket watch, and he clicks it, and it sends him to whatever era it has been set to. Very nice. Uh, the f- I believe the first episode that he appears in is one where he helps a helps someone track down a uh, Nazi war criminal who is hiding out in like some of the 1990s kind of, sort of uh, trials they were doing to find ex-Nazi uh, leaders who were hiding in America. That, that episode actually sounds familiar. He also appeared in an episode where he taught to teenagers how worshipping the Confederacy actually does make you racist. Good on him. <laughs> I'm seeing a trend here, by the way. <laughs> I believe the third episode was one where they reveal this sort of time bureau that he works for. And it's this whole uh, kind of morality thing about whether or not it's moral to change your own timeline. You know, it, uh, you know, for, you know, first, you have to figure out how time you know, travel would actually work. Then how it, you know, affecting things in the past would actually work if you can. Uh, and then three, then, then you have to worry about the moral implications of, you know, we have the power to do this, should we? Yes. I think it wouldn't be our shows if I didn't return to Star Trek for at least a couple of things here. Go for it. <laughs> I have two, and they're both really small ones, so I'm just going to roll them into one. But there was this very interesting thing that I found in Next Generation as far as their watches go, which is that they're very secretive about them. Hmm. So there's two episodes. There's the Star Trek Next Generation episode, A Matter of Time, in which a time-traveling uh, con man posing as an archaeologist yes. uh, appears on the Enterprise. And uh, you know, he's like, yes, I come from the whatever century in your future, and I'm here to basically uh, observe your decision process in this you know, bi- you know, you know, in- important point in history while the Enterprise is trying to like fix this environmental uh, disaster on this planet. And he's, and you know, of course, while he's hanging out there, he's slowly sort of picking up items from around the ship and putting them in a ship in his like, you know, time machine. He had something that I think is really neat 
that I haven't seen done very often in anything else, he has a watch ring. Hmm. He's wearing a little ring that he constantly keeps checking throughout the episode. It turns out it's the timer for when his time machine is going to go ah. back. But he has it on a ring, and I've never really seen watch rings. Neither have I. You know, I've seen rings of all sorts of other sorts. Uh, you know, some of them more 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 outlandish than others. But uh, watch ring, I don't think I've seen. Yeah. The other appears from the first Next Generation movie, Star Trek Generations. Mm -hmm. The uh, villain of that piece named Soren has a more traditional sort of watch, uh, which he just keeps checking out. Uh, also for kind of the bad guy has a time thing that they're working with. Yes. Like the, the villain is on the clock, so he has to keep checking the clock, ticking clock sort of thing. Yes, I, I need to blow up this star exactly this moment in order to get the little thing would you to come at me and I can do that. The other thing is he also has a little flappy thing on his watch to keep the time private. <laughs> he has to keep Look. like opening it up or flip <laughs> it up or turn it on. And that seems to be a consistent theme in Star Trek The Next Generation at least. Every time they have a timekeeping device appear on the show it's some sort of secretive thing that they people have to keep hidden like time is apparently something that you have to be covert about well maybe they they realize that the future the awkwardness of someone sort of like craning their head over to look at somebody else's watch yes it's very <laughs> awkward but no one else wears watches apparently they can just get the time from the computer or some other thing or maybe they all carry around cell phones we don't see <laughs> in their lack of pockets <laughs> Where, where, where are you keeping your cell phone? I, uh, I don't ask. <laughs> if you have a watch in Star Trek, you're the villain. Yes. <laughs> Except for one, I, I, I just wanted to mention this because it was funny. There is one time where Dr. Crusher is wearing a watch in one scene. It's probably a costuming error where her sleeve pulls up and she's wearing a very, very small, like, uh, mechanical wristwatch but it's it's probably a costume costuming error where she just didn't take her watch off when she did when she put on her coat yeah fairly likely alternatively it's evil crusher from another dimension that could be yes. that's <laughs> from this very interesting website i found that people should check out if they have any interest in this at all called watchesinmovies.info nice <laughs> Just as a complete list of watches that appear in movies and TV shows. I, I should, you know, check that out for my listing. I, I, I sort of fumbled around. It's like, oh, yeah, there's that one watch, that one thing here. <laughs> so maybe I should go for another one here. Yes. So, uh, you know, back on the time travel. How about a Casio CA53W Twinsip databank, man? That's very specific. And guess what that one's from? Given the retroiness and that we talked about some things beforehand, I'm guessing Back to the Future. Yes. That's the uh, the watch uh, Marty McFly is uh, you know sporting in Back to the Future. Uh, the the crazy thing about it is it's very eighties as far as total design. It is a calculator watch. Also, you can still buy these. Oh, <laughs> I had a calculator watch when I was younger. Was it a Casio C eight fifty three W Twinsep databank? I would have to look at the thing. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the. Uh, it, it doesn't really feature at all uh, as far as you know, the, the content of the of the movie goes, but it definitely helps sort of uh, drive home the 80s feel of the movie uh, to, uh, to a, uh, an extra little bit of a little detail like that. Uh, and that's why I, 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 I always sort of thought, you know, it's like, yeah, this is, this is a pretty cool thing. And like this movie is from the past, but it's like it's in the future, even in the first movie when they go to the past and the third. What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, mine was some sort of Casio because I recognized this design, but no, it was not the the Back to the Future specific watch. Well, they have uh, changed up the design a little bit over time, but it is, I guess, super 
easy to make and cheap and people still buy them probably because of back of the future so <laughs> one of my friends recently got one of these just for the nostalgia factor nice <laughs> interestingly i also have a calculator watch on my list but mine is a future calculator watch future from calculator. the original run of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, nice. One of the commanders on that show, which I'm not particularly familiar with, so I do not know names, but he wears a very, very bulky calculator watch that looks retro sci-fi-y and really cool. Excellent. Hmm. Now, I, I've only seen bits and pieces of the original Battlestar, so I, I wouldn't know the guy either myself. Uh, and I didn't even realize there's a watch in there, so... Yeah, just what, like wearing that. Also, the pilots, like... Uh, Starbuck and the originals have um, two-way TV wristwatches. Hmm. Communication I'm devices. not sure if they ever use them, but they have communication wristwatches. Very cool. Huh. And of course that brings us neatly to one of my other picks, which is just the uh, 2005 Battlestar Galactica. Everyone just has watches. They're pretty modern-looking watches. They look basically like our watches because that's kind of the level of weird of technological, like, anachronism they get on this show yes. <laughs> uh, they are all hexagons because for some reason everything in the 2005 battlestar galactica has to be a hexagon you know, you know there's probably some motif there and uh, i didn't watch enough of the show to get it so <laughs> including paper all their paper is hexagons it's seems, very weird it seems very uh, inefficient to me yeah it is also uh a watch informs one of the core emotional arcs of the show when general adama and his son bonding over like a old watch that he uses for calculations but since the 2005 Battlestar is going off of this kind of retro-y idea where they can't use calculation computers and they have to make all of their calculations for things like FTL travel manually like mm -hmm. an old submarine they are constantly using watches and clocks to do so so it's very essential so it's good to have some uh, timepiece like that uh, around even despite the stuff we talked about earlier about whole relativity business yes <laughs> Yeah, how a watch functions during an FTL jump, I don't even want to speculate on. <laughs> Depends on where your watch is relative to yourself, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you can get two watches, you can sort of look at both of them simultaneously. You might have a better idea, but better, be better to have more watches just floating around if you can. <laughs> That's almost never going to be on screen. <laughs> so you had another, you had at least one more watch uh, for us, didn't I, I you? I had uh, two more, technically. Uh, ah, okay. you know, one of them's, uh, you know, not particularly, uh, you know, I, I guess unique as far as it's, you know, you know uh, science fictionist, but it does have the, the proper look for it. And that's the, uh, you know, the watches that were featured in men in black. Ah, yes. They, yes those good old retro suit sort of watch. And they're, they're, they're these, they have this sort of like triangular design and, you know, you know, sure the, 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 uh, you know, the hands on it go around in circle, but like the, you know, the, the marks on that, uh, on, on the face of it is in the sort of triangular design and the, you know, rest of the watch sort of conforms to that. And, uh, I don't remember if they like did anything special, like actually in the movie or show, you know, in the, in the, you know, spinoff animation shows or not. Uh, but they, they just look cool and man in black definitely fits in our, into our, our categories of science fiction here. Yes. I seem to remember there was at least something in one of the three men in black movies where they hit the little button on the side of the watch and it activated something like a remote control, but I cannot remember mm. what it would have been. Uh, I remember there was a couple moments where uh, remote controls were used, but I don't remember what they were controlling. So, hmm. Well, now I can get to my, this is the last one that I have in the more kind of traditional watches, which is actually the Predator or Predators from all the various Predator movies. Yeah. 
They carry around a large, bulky, wrist-mounted, multi-tool thingamabob that includes a timekeeping device that they often use as a countdown to blow themselves up. <laughs> when in doubt, activate your watch to explode. <laughs> but in all of the in all of the kind of sci-fi things, this is one of the ones that includes an alien numerical system. It's one of those ones where the, the character looks at it, goes, what on earth is going on? Then sees one of the digits disappear, goes, oh, that's a countdown, and runs. All right, so whereas some factor of some number here, yeah, just run. <laughs> so yeah, when you see the alien numbers, um, be, be wary. Yes, I think that they even had some, they didn't do the watches. Like, I, I almost put Stargate on this list, but they're set in modern times, so it's just it's not sci-fi watches but they do a similar thing where they have alien numerical systems that they figure out as a countdown or count up i think they were holding it upside down in one of the scenes <laughs> uh there's a you know they're not necessarily wristwatches there was uh definitely at least a couple like time bombs where they had like you know sort of look at it. it's like okay there's this thing swirling around here and it's getting smaller okay this is what this is <laughs> It's a fun trope. Yes. <laughs> the ticking clock, but you don't know what the clock says. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, my my last uh, wristwatch here is uh, from the James Bond movie series. Yeah, which we wouldn't traditionally think of as sci-fi, but definitely has some science fiction elements mixed into all of those. Yeah, you know, and uh, through a lot of the movies, uh, you know, Bond you know, goes to visit Q branch at some point. And then picks up some, uh, you know, uh, uh, gadgets and things like that. Some of them which are quite reasonable. Some that are completely, you know, <laughs> completely fictional and don't make any sense or are also impossible in various fashions. Uh, remember the invisible car, for instance? Oh, yes. It's sort of possible. <laughs> it's it's sort of possible now, but not really when they sort of threw it in the movie series there. But that's how sci-fi technology is supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of get an idea first, then you press for it. Um, but the particular watch I'm, I'm thinking about is uh, the one from Goldeneye. And why, why do you think I, I'm thinking about this one? Mm. Goldeneye. Was that the one with the little... That one could activate bombs and I think had a laser? Yeah, the laser watch. You could zap people with it. <laughs> Melt things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just... I, I figured one of the uh, the watches I listed here uh, it would need to be uh, something that had a laser in it, so... I think his watches have included a remote control for his car. Mm -hmm. uh, lasers is a pretty common one. Uh, one of the earlier ones that I remember seeing, I think, in one of the Sean Connery Bonds was a watch with a magnet in it that he could use to like move a knife around on a table that he got himself out of a binding or something with. Back when magnets were like the technology. Hmm. Well, we need more technology in this thing. Let's put some magnets in. People will be amazed. <laughs> and I believe there was even something as simple as the garrot watch, where the little <laughs> spinny thing on the side pulled out and it was just attached to a string. And uh, I think uh, you know, the Austin Powers movie, uh, at least the first one, uh, made fun of this sort of trope by having like a sleep dart in the in his watch. The I can't remember what it does, but Johnny English has a lot of weird stuff with his watch. You know, I can't say I've uh, seen more than maybe a few minutes of any of those uh, movies, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised, yes. <laughs> the first one is very, very good. They go a bit downhill with each one, and it kind of just depends how much you like watching uh, Atchison. Sometimes. Uh, you know, it reminds me, I need to get back to watching Black Adder. Anywho. <laughs> uh, you should. Which season are you even on? I've only uh, you know started on the first one, so... It gets better. Just you can skip the first one profitably. <laughs> Just get to the second season, and you will never want to turn it off again. Right. <laughs> also, time travel episode, Christmas special, Blackadder back and forth. <gasps> back and forth. Hmm. 
I don't think there's a watch in that one per se, but he does invent a time machine based on an old Leonardo da Vinci drawing that takes him back through historical periods in English history. Cool. So it can be the pre- his previous incarnations? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And in- including Roman times where uh, I think Stephen Fry comes in and just belts out a speech in Latin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what do they say? I have no idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's subtitles. Oh. <laughs> but it comes. They're all they're all quipping in English, and then he shows. I was like, "Good job t- doing your English, boys." But I have a message from from Rome. Itzats custode kicho. Really, really amazing show. So I'll, I'll have to get back on that. That was all of yours. I think we've gotten through both of our lists right now, and yeah. we're talking about Blackadder, which would be a different show. Yes, <laughs> with maybe some science fiction elements, but not 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 too many watches. So yes, only possibly the time travel episode, and maybe the Christmas special has science fiction elements. <laughs> So we've diverged quite a bit, so maybe we should move on to the next thing. Yes, we have the galaxy's favorite game show! This time we don't so much have prizes. Yes, we were, we don't got prizes today. It's our quick fire quiz segment. Things in science fiction that go on your wrist but do not tell time. All right. So the first one on my list is a communicator and teleport bracelet that doesn't actually tell time but kind of looks like a watch. Uh, and this comes from the uh, ancient British science fiction show, not named Doctor Who, but Blake Seven. <laughs> I have not seen that. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's very, very 80s, but, you know, or early 80s, yeah. <laughs> but uh, these uh, things, you have to have them on in order to use the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the transporters. And if you don't got one on, you're not going anywhere. Mine was, my first is also from Predator, and it just kind of includes their wrist blades, little net launcher doohickey. They've got all these cool killy things in their wrist, but the wrist blades are basically the iconic Predator weapon. Shink, and I'm going to stab you now. Aha! My uh, second one is something that uh, goes on uh, someone's wrist and kind of does a whole bunch of random stuff, and it's not entirely clear what the full functionality is, but it doesn't matter since it's all inside a computer anyway, and that's uh, Glitch, uh, Bob's little rust-mounted uh, dealio from the show Reboot. Oh, uh, yes. I'd yeah. completely forgotten about Glitch. I remember yes. Reboot. <laughs> so, you know, Glitch doesn't so much tell time. He just sort of does everything else. <laughs> My next is also a pick from Star Trek, which is those utterly ridiculous wrist-mounted flashlights <laughs> that are just, they're so 90s because they obviously just took a couple of double D battery flashlights and strapped them to someone's wrist. It looks like the most ungainly thing you could possibly imagine. <laughs> so what you're saying is in order to see forward, I need to take my hand off my phaser and kind of, or, or, or like angle my phaser in a weird way in order to sort of point it where I want to look. And then I have to like not be shining the light of the thing I'm trying to shoot if we're in a dangerous situation. What? Basically, you have to hold your arm out weirdly straight with your wrist. Your arm, your hand's going to get tired. Yes. They're the worst flashlights I've ever seen in my life. Why would you have a wrist-mounted flashlight? You see, in the future, ergonomics are not a thing anymore, apparently. So uh, my third item is a, a wrist-mounted computer of a, on, in a movie that I have not actually seen. Good start. Yes. 
<laughs> and that's uh, Donatello's uh, uh, d- uh, device on the in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 2014 version. Uh, yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Sorry about that. Get one, go. <laughs> think, have us think about something else. <laughs> Mine is actually also from a more modern movie. Black Panther, the multi-purpose, do-whatever-we-need vibranium wrist bead things. Mm, cool. Yeah, those things were pretty uh, versatile in their uh, capabilities. Yes, they were communicators, healing something or others, remote controls. They basically did whatever they wanted. Yes, that's their, their multi-tool, their glitch. <laughs> Uh, speaking of things that are kind of doing uh, whatever is kind of necessary for the plot when people remember it exists. Uh, so this is it's a, a big sort of uh, band thing that goes over the forearm that a particular uh, one-eyed uh, uh, you know, uh, individual in the uh, year 3000 uh, makes use of uh, you know, Madame Leela from Futurama. Uh, it's the thing on her wrist. It's the thing on her wrist. It's all it's described as ever. It's like, there's apparently this ri- thing on my wrist can do this, so I'm going to do that now. <laughs> it even plays Pong. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of a, yeah, we need someone to have a tech device, so yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. It's either that or Bender. <laughs> I have a Doctor Who pick. It is Captain Jack's Vortex Manipulator. Holy smokes, that was my next one as well. Because it's, it's like a, it's, it like straps on your wrist, but instead of telling you time, it just sort of sends you to, through time. Yes, it jumps you around. It's apparently, it's described as like the jank version of time travel by the doctor. <laughs> it's a dirty version of time travel. It's just, just so, so uncouth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I stole one of yours, so you would come. <laughs> my last one on my list is uh, it's a, a, a wrist gadget that is also just a sticker on someone's arm. And that would be a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Buzz Lightyear's uh, wrist gadget dealio on the, in the uh, the Toy Story movies. Ah, we never figure out quite what that thing does. Yeah. <laughs> Other than he sort of communicates with it, or at least thinks he does at one point, and then he removes the sticker at some point. So, <laughs> I think it's also supposed to be some sort of atmospheric scanner, I think, oh, that's yeah. in the beginning, too. Oh, so sort of, once again, a, a multi-tool gadget that uh, with unknown sort of, uh, you know, things you can do. <laughs> Finally, I have a sort of general one from just the era of 60s TV and radio, which is the two-way wrist television. Oh, yeah. Appearing in Dick Tracy, various radio plays, Rocky and Bullwinkle. So kind of a, a, a universal sort of uh, trope uh, showing up in multiple media franchises. Also, just the Rocky and Bullwinkle, I have to do the, you have a two-way wrist television? Everyone has one. A two-way wrist television? No, a two-way wrist. (laughs) Rocky and Bullwinkle was so much better written, and it came out before original series. Yep. (laughs) How did TV go downhill? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say Aliens. (laughs) <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle was just a weird aberration. It was better than anything on TV for the next 40 years. Yeah, we're going to be goofy and off the wall and just sort of do stuff. And, you know, some things don't make any sense, but that's kind of the joke. <laughs> All right, we, we strayed again. Yes. So thank you for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Woohoo! Oh, man. We got lots of watches today. We did have a lot of watches. Hmm. 
Oh, so 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 what time is it? <laughs> what time is it right now? Dot com. <laughs> that's maybe the watch of the future, man. Ah, I keep, ah. that's just bringing my mind to so many BoJack Horseman jokes that I don't know how familiar anybody else is with BoJack. I I know a few things, but it's more. But I've not actually seen the show myself. So. Why is no one watching this show? <laughs> it's it's on, it's on Netflix, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. They just started. They just started syndicating it on Comedy Central too. Okay. Well, I also don't have cable, so. <laughs> <laughs> Bojack is a good show. It's one of those shows I do want to watch, and uh, and so you know, you know, I just need to figure out a, a means to do so, uh, or alternatively uh, get Netflix. So. So nobody's gonna get it if I say Newt's time. Some, some, I didn't get it, but so many of the audience did. I hope somebody does. Because I don't have an outro, so I'm just going to say that next time, it's Newt time. It's Newt time, yeah. Thank you for joining us. We don't have an outro for this bit. So, <laughs> we'll see you next time on Watches of Tomorrow. Next time on Watches of Tomorrow. Ha ha! April Fool's! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.